Today we're going to start a brand new service and a brand new series called Steadfast. Steadfast is a, probably a word that we don't usually use that often, but it's a very important word, our steadfast. Uh, we, are, we are meant to be steadfast in our faith. And with steadfastness comes uh, uh, the fact that we are challenged and we have gone through many challenges as a country, as communities, as individuals, as churches, as Christians, uh, especially over the last year or so for many uh, myriad of reasons. And in that, what we have found is that many of us have really struggled with our faith. We've struggled with the challenges that have come. And so we really felt that we needed to talk about being steadfast. And today I want to talk about three beliefs that were needed, that Jesus needed for the coming hard times that were going to come his way. Now, why would difficult times come our way? What type of difficult times are going to come our way? Well, there are two types of difficult times that I can think of. There's the, the challenge to our faith, which comes through loss. It comes through hopelessness. It comes through hurt or disappointment or death. It's the challenge to our faith is that, do I really believe in God? Do I not believe in God? Is this the way that God's going to do things? He's not going to do things this way. But the other challenge, I believe, is the challenge to your calling. And when you have a challenge to your calling, that's when you're asking, what am I meant to do? Am I meant to be doing this? God, does God want me to do something else? I can't do what God is calling me to do. What is your calling? In fact, we do a thing called the growth track here, which is about you discovering what our calling is as a church and us actually trying to help you, or even maybe you already know, but to discover your calling as well. And it happens every other Sunday, and I believe it will be happening it's either today or next week. I'm afraid I can't remember. We do it every other Sunday right after church. You can go to our website, northwestorlando.com forward slash welcome and you'll be able to find it right there. But even Jesus had to be clear in these three beliefs that we're about to talk about before he went into ministry. Because before he went into the desert to be tempted by the devil, before he went into ministering across the country, before he went to the cross, there was three things I believe that had to be clear in his head. But before we start talking about what those three beliefs are, I want to paint a picture here, and I might be running through it very quickly, but I'm just trying to set the stage and paint a picture so we know where we're actually launching off from to understand where we're actually trying to, to, to land as well. And if you're, if you're on our uh, northwestorlando.com uh, broadcast, you can actually read along with us because there's actually a Bible app right there if you're watching along, or you can even pull it up on your phone or something like that. But we're going to be looking at the book of Luke, the book of Luke, the book of Luke. Now the book of Luke is actually written by a guy called, well done. I know you all went to children's church. That's good. So that's the book of Luke, right? It's really obvious. Um, but he actually wrote two books. We're actually one book together, but the early Christians decide to split them because they seem to have two different directions. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Luke is about, uh, all about Jesus. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is all about the early church and how it used to grow. But actually, he was not a disciple or he wasn't one of Jesus' 12 disciples or even one of his 72 disciples. He was actually called Dr. Luke, who was writing for another gentleman called Theophilus. And Theophilus was considered either to be a wealthy man or a lawyer. Now, why would a lawyer or why would a wealthy man want to pay a lot of money for Dr. Luke to, to, to write this book? It's simply because there was a man who was turning, there was another man who lived about that time who was turning the world upside down. His name was Apostle Paul. You may have heard of Apostle Paul in the, in the New Testament. He wrote a lot of the books of the Bible, like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Corinthians, etc. He wrote a lot of these books. We call them books that were really just letters. 
But what he was doing was he was radically changed by Jesus Christ and he went around the Roman Empire planting churches, winning people to Christ and turning people's lives upside down. So much so that they started to live a completely different lifestyle. They got rid of their gods. In fact, there was so much so they, 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 they turned away from their sin and their brutality into living a life of Christianity. And so it really disturbed the Roman authorities and what they decided was we need to shut this guy Paul down. So they took him and they dragged him to Rome and they put him in prison. And it says that he actually started witnessing even to the emperor's household and he started to win people for Christ there. But the reason why they couldn't kill him so fast was because he was a citizen of Rome as well. And so he was going to have his day in court and what uh, uh, Theophilus did was he was his lawyer and he came along and said, I'm gonna employ someone to try and put the evidence together to show that Paul isn't crazy, right? The way that they were able to show that Paul was crazy, that either he was crazy by himself or he was employed by a crazy man called uh, Jesus Christ. And so what, what, what uh, Luke did is he put together this brief, he put together this document to try and prove that Paul wasn't crazy because Jesus wasn't crazy either. Now, Look at this. I'm gonna go through just a few chapters just to quickly give you an, an overview. In chapter one, he talks about the foretelling of Jesus, that there was many people who talked about Jesus before he was actually born. People prophesied about it. People were waiting in, in anticipation in the Middle East for the Savior to come. There was, even, uh, there was even people from the East, like Asian people, Chinese people that traveled on camels to come and see this baby because they had, they had been foretold that he would actually come along. He is painting this, this foretelling of Jesus coming. Then it goes to chapter two, where he talks about the significance of Jesus's birth. He talked about how the, the, his parents followed the law that, 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 that Rome had put in place to, to have a consensus and they had to go back to their, their, their birthplace. They had to go back to Bethlehem. And when the child was born, they even had angels and they had shepherds around and they were adhering to their own cultural traditions where they even took him to the temple to dedicate him. What he was trying to do was paint a picture. Listen, that Jesus, the people weren't crazy, that his parents weren't crazy. They were good law-abiding citizens. They weren't a rebel family. Family. And they were even accepted by respected seniors of their, of their culture. They were respected by uh, these older people who were actually prophets called Simeon and Anna. And then even at the end of chapter two, it talks about Jesus' good upbringing, where he went to the temple as a young boy and it says that everyone admired him. They said, he is a good young man. He is wise. He is older beyond his years. And then it goes to chapter three, where it talks about this guy, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was going around uh, with, you know, You've heard of John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist was the prophet, the only prophet that had ever come that anyone had ever heard of for 400 years. God had not spoken or sent a prophet to Israel for 400 years. And then there's John the Baptist comes and people were losing their minds about how crazy, how crazy this guy was. He was dressed in hat camel hair. He would only eat honey and he would live in the desert and people would go out to see him and go, that guy is crazy, but he is saying some truth. He was the Kanye of his day, right? And he was wearing Yeezys. Some of you didn't get that, but don't worry about it. Okay, so... Um, so there was literally soldiers, the armed forces were coming to him and you can read about it in Luke and they were saying, what must I do to get saved? Even the government officials, tax collectors were coming and saying, what must I do to get saved? And even John the Baptist was saying, There's, I'm not the saviour, someone is coming after me and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to be beside him. 
He was the influencer of his day. Can you imagine if he had a YouTube account or a Twitter account? He'd be blown up on it. Why? Because he was John the Baptist. I believe to some degree, we do something similar to what Luke is trying to do. What is Luke trying to do? He's trying to create a proof of the legitimacy of who Jesus was. He was trying to legitimize his character. He was trying to legitimize his calling. He's trying to legitimize what he actually did. He's trying to prove that he wasn't crazy. And even today we do that. We even want that for our children. We want them to, to grow up in a good family. We want them to come from good stock. They come from good stock, right? We want them to go to good schools and we want them to get good educations. We want them to get a good job. We want them to have good standing in society. We want them to have everything that is good so they can come from good stock because good stock equals good success in our lives. It equals good success in our culture and in our society. This is something that we all try and do. We try to make sure that we don't look crazy. We look like we're legitimate. But you see, there was one thing, one thing that Jesus heard from his father that gave him the confidence that he was a legitimate son of God in order to be able to go do what he was called to do. It wasn't his lineage. It wasn't what his family thought about him. It wasn't what he, where he came from. It wasn't about what the prophets said. He had the confidence and the boldness and to go and do what God had told him to do because of something that the Father had said. And we're gonna be reading from Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. And here's when we're gonna start off in this whole thing. When all the people, that was all the people that, that were coming out to see John the Baptist, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now, I'll tell you right now, if that happened to me, I'd be like, I'm the man, right? If I was getting baptized and this thing started fluttering above my head, it was like this, I'm like, guess, <laughs> check this out, right? And then maybe they're like, oh no, that's, that's not any, that's just the dove. That's just, he probably trained that dove to go on his head. No, you can imagine the angels were going, this light was coming down from heaven and this dove was coming upon his head. This is the Holy Spirit. That means the people were looking at it going, dang, he is greater than Kanye. Oh my gosh. And this dove was like falling on his head. And amazing, it's amazing how we, 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 we see that and we go, he's definitely the man, he's definitely Jesus. But it's amazing how many of us have experiences with God and then at that moment we're like, okay, I'm definitely accepted by God. I'm definitely a son of God. I'm definitely a daughter of God. And we're actually, actually what we're doing is we're depending on an experience with God. Sometimes what we do is we go, remember, you know, you've had amazing worship times. You've got tears coming down your face. You've had these revelation times of God showed me new things. But as soon as you go through a difficult time, you're not depending on that worship time to try and get you through this difficult time. Like, oh, remember last week when Sunday morning was awesome and we had that new song, I'm running to the Father, I'm running to the Father, just again and again and again. It's just amazing. That's not the thing you're referring to when you're trying to go through a difficult time this week. When you're going through depression, when you're going through challenge, when you're going through doubt, when you're losing your faith and you're not steadfast in what you believe, when you're not being able to pay your bills, are you going back to, oh, but we had a great Sunday. No, you see, the thing is, we can't live off of past experiences. We need something more. And this is the three beliefs that I believe that prepared Jesus for the hard times that were coming ahead. Why? Because there was something else that happened after this Holy Spirit looking like a dove came down upon him. And it says this, and a voice came from heaven. Where did it come from? Heaven. heaven. Who's that? 
The Father, right? The Father, we already know Jesus is in the water. The dove has come down and a voice comes from heaven. His dad spoke to him. And here's the three things his dad spoke to him. He said, a voice came from heaven and here's the Father speaking. You are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. There's three things his father said to him. I'm gonna go through very quickly. The first is he said, you are my son. That is acceptance, whom I love. That's affection. With you, I am well pleased. That is approval. Let's go through the first one. The first one is, I believe I belong to my father who wants me. I believe I belong to my father who wants me. That's acceptance. Luke 3, 22. You are my son, God said. You are my son. Uh, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's the adoption thing, right? I chose you, you didn't choose me. And how wonderful that is. And I believe that everybody in their faith in order to be able to go through difficult times need to be able to be clear in their heart. I'm already accepted by God. I might be screwed up. I might be a mess. It's not my fault, not my problem that God chose me the way I am. Amen. You see what I'm saying? God chose you the way you are. It's not like he's trying to make you stay the way you are, but he chose you the way you are. But what happens if you don't feel that acceptance? Well, I'll tell you what happens. I believe the curse of workaholism comes into your life. Wait, Pete, how did you make this connection? Let me show you. Genesis 3.23. So the Lord God banished Adam. Why did he banish him? Because he had sinned. He had to reject him. I no longer accept you is what he said. He banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to what? To work the ground from which he had been taken. That's the curse that follows when you don't have acceptance in your heart. Now God has turned this upside down through the cross of Christ. We are now accepted, but how many Christians I know that still walk around trying to earn the favor of God, you can't. You can't earn the favor of God. It's not possible because the favor of God is something that is given to you. You have to just receive it. And I believe that as a result of this rejection, a result of this deafness of acceptance in our lives, and it leads us to a place of sorrow. Isaiah 53 shows that Jesus actually took on our rejection and the following thing that came after that was sorrows. He, Jesus, is despised and rejected by men. This is the prophet speaking this. A man of sorrows. Sorrows follows rejection. Sorrows follow the fact that your father didn't accept you. And the interesting thing is there's a word here that is used for this word sorrow. And I looked up the word sorrow and look at this. It means this in Hebrew, to carve in a bad sense. What I find is people who don't really feel a deep acceptance in themselves start to hurt themselves. Why? Because they're so numb and they're so numb with this pain that they have, they need to feel something else. So they'll hurt themselves with a self-abuse. They'll hurt themselves in the sense of they'll give themselves alcohol or drugs or something just to stop feeling this deep pain. But Jesus has already taken this from us. He's accepted, the Father has accepted us. And I find that people who still struggle with this acceptance, even in childhood through the Lovely Project, we're seeing young boys and girls that are literally cutting themselves. And parents are going, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because there's an issue in their heart. And it's usually to do with rejection, the fact that they don't have this acceptance. Why is acceptance so important? Because when times get tough, you become broken if you don't believe you're already accepted. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, Proverbs 15, 13 says. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. If you're feeling broken and you're feeling deep sorrow, you have to go back and point yourself towards the Father and say, Father, do you accept me still? Yeah. 
Am I acceptable to you? Have you chosen me? Because when you feel chosen by your Father, you have no reason to be sad. You have no reason to be broken. Yeah, you'll go through difficult times. I totally get that. But the only way you get through those difficult times is when you turn to the one who takes away our sorrow. In Proverbs 10, 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. No rejection. He doesn't give you the blessing and go, but I don't want you anymore. I'll give you my covering. I'll give you my blessing. I'll give you all these good things, but I don't actually want to be with you anymore. No, there is something that is the blessing. The blessing is the fact that we have the Father. That means there is no sorrow. Number two, number two, the second belief that Jesus had to have clear in his heart was this. My father loves me. That's the affection. In Luke 3.22b, it says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the father said, whom I love. Now, I think that this is actually very academic for many, many Christians. I believe that they know it cerebrally. I believe they know it theologically. In fact, I believe that many of you can actually quote John 3.16, but it doesn't mean that you actually believe it for yourself. It doesn't mean that you've actually received it for yourself. Sometimes I'll speak to people and I see by the way they act or the way that they talk that I can hear this fear inside of them. I remember speaking to someone a long time ago and there was a lady who had lost her job, who had very little money. It was tough. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a difficult season that she was going through. And as, as she was telling me, I said, it sounds like you're really definitely going through tough times, but I can't help but thinking, it sounds like you, you actually don't think that God loves you. You actually, it actually sounds like you've actually, that God's forgotten you and he's abandoned you. And she goes, well, that's exactly how I feel. And I said, but he hasn't abandoned you. She goes, well, why is it then I don't have good things in my life? Why don't I feel the Father close to me? And she said, what have I done? Well, how have I sinned to make him not want to love me anymore? And I told her this, your sin can't change the character of God. Your sin can't change the fact that he's going to be a loving father whether you like it or receive it or not. He's going to love you whether you like it or not. You have to decide, my dad loves me. It's true. Your dad can say, I love you, I love you, I love you all you want. But until the day you decide, I'm going to believe that, it won't make a difference in your life. You see what I'm saying? We have to choose that the Father does love us and stop looking at ourselves, stop looking at other people and just decide the Father loves me. Why is affection so important? Because when tough times come, you'll act abandoned if you don't believe you're already loved. You'll act like an orphan if you don't believe that you're fathered and loved by your father. What do, what do people who are abandoned do? Well, abandonment is basically a rejected heart. A rejected heart must always protect itself. What it does is it shuts things down. It runs away to someone else or some, somewhere else. It builds up walls in front of us. It will even use anger to make sure that nobody can get over the walls and to push other people away. If you can't accept his love, you can't accept the fact that you're accepted. Love is a very, very important thing. And I get it, there's many of us who struggle with feeling loved by God, but you have to discover it one way or another. You have to in order to be able to have the freedom and the ability to last through the difficult times that will come your way. Number three, the last one is this. My father approves of me. My father approves of me. This is approval. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, let me, let me just make this really clear. Approval means to speak and think favorably of, to endorse or to support. It's literally the father saying, I got your back, right? So there's a problem here. And it's this, 
This is the only belief that you as a Christian have any power over. This is the only thing that you have any input to, right? God's accepted you, he's already loved you, but does he approve of you? The problem is we're now living within an age where we have just decided that God approves of everything and anything that I do in my life. He just loves me and that now gives me permission to do whatever I want. That cheapens his love. His approval must come with a change in our behaviour. The problem is we're now in the age of an offensiveness where we can't say certain things. And even churches are getting to the place where they're not saying certain things. We can't say that God doesn't approve of fornication, which is sleeping with someone before you're actually married to them. He doesn't approve of divorce. He allows it. It doesn't mean he approves of it. He doesn't approve of abortion. He doesn't approve of factiousness, which is uh, dividing people apart from each other, which is a, a form of racism. He doesn't approve of drunkenness. He doesn't approve of coarse language. He doesn't approve of homosexuality. How do I know that? Because it's in his word. That's why. This is not beliefs that the church has just come up with. This is what's in the scripture. If we ban the church, we get rid of church. If we kill all the Christians, it still won't change God's approval of what we do or don't do. Does that make sense? We have to follow what the word of God is telling us. So then how did Jesus get approved? How did he get the well-pleased thing? It's very simple. What he did was he lived a holy life. And he found himself approved of. Why is holiness so important? Because when times get tough, you'll be tempted to turn from your holiness and do something that's common. You see, what's common, what we think is sin is the opposite of holiness. No, it's not. Doing what's common is just as opposite as holiness, as sin is. You follow me this, this far? Sin is the opposite of holiness, being, having a living or doing things in a common manner is the opposite of holiness. In Luke chapter four, Jesus was about to be tempted by the devil and where he was about to be tempted by the devil was in his holiness. That was trusting God, taking all things and deciding to commit it to the Father. There are many things in our lives that we have decided to not commit to the Father and it doesn't look like it's sin, it doesn't look like it's bad, but I'm telling you, if it's not holiness, it's just a common use of the gifts that God has given you. Everything in your life has to be dedicated back to the Father. When Satan came to Jesus and said, listen, I know you're hungry, you've been fasting for 40 days, take that stone, turn it into bread, you're the man, you're God, you can do this. And he said, no, I'll only live by the word of God. That's what gives me food for my stomach. He was committing everything he had in his life to the service of God. Temptation was to dedicate things to himself or to Satan and not to God. Right? Jesus dedicated all of himself to the will of God. I've been through this myself. I've gone through the trials and the struggles of actually having to, you know, where God says, I want you to give me this. My like, God, I don't want to give you this. I want the opportunity to do something with this for myself. And I remember years ago, I actually was in a band and in this band, we, we, you know, we just played around and it was a lot of fun, not played around, we played around and, and it was a lot of fun and we traveled even the country and it was a lot of fun and I, and I even grew my hair out and I was looking like a rock star and stuff and, and uh, we were making CDs and wow, look at Peter, he's a rock star. And it was a lot of fun, right? I even had the manager of Creed, I don't know, some of you young people are like, who's Creed? That was the cool band when I was young, right? 
And the manager of Creed came to me and he said, hey, I want to give you a record deal, but I want you to get rid of the rest of your band. I'm like, I can't do that. And he said, well, you're not going to succeed unless you come with me. And I'm like, I just couldn't do it, so I didn't do it. And so we entered into a competition with the Grammys, and the Grammys, uh, uh, they had like these, all these bands, and they whittled it down to 300 bands that were competing for this competition with the Grammys, and then they whittled it down to four bands, and we had to go down to Miami, and we had to compete. And then suddenly they announced one of the, Rule of seven wins the prize. And we're like, whoa. And I couldn't believe we'd got it. We were there and all these record labors were coming to us and they kept on like, hey, we want you to come up to Nashville. We want to do a deal with you. We want to do this type of thing. Look, here's us at the Grammys, right? Cheesy. I can't account. I cannot account for fashion. But just think of this as a uniform to be cool, right? That was me back then, right? But I knew as soon as I won that competition, I knew that God said, I don't want you to do this. And I was partly a little shocked, but I knew that I had messed up in life enough that I was too scared to say no to God. Because I'd said no to God before, and I knew that it put me through challenges, difficult times, trials and tribulations that I didn't need to go through because I went through them without God. Because I told no to God. You have to say yes to God. You have to say, yes, I will be holy. Yes, I'll take what you have given me and I want to give it back to you. I want you to take this. If the devil can't get you to feel unaccepted, if he can't get you to feel unloved, he'll tempt you with the idolatry of making your gifts only serve yourself. To weather through tough times, you must desire God more than success or even freedom from pain because you're about to go into the desert, because you're about to be rejected by the whole of Israel, because you're about to be rejected by your family, because you're about to be rejected by the authorities, because you're about to die. That's what Jesus was about to go through. And if God is willing to sacrifice his own first son for the sake of other people, why wouldn't he sacrifice us for the salvation of others out there too? Don't trade your holy calling for a common life. Don't trade your holy calling for a common life. Imagine this, my last thing to say. Imagine this. Imagine if Jesus didn't hear and believe the words of the Father. What would have happened? I believe he was fully human as well as he was fully God. So therefore, he was tempted as we were tempted. He was pushed as much as we are going to be pushed, maybe a little bit more. But I believe the only thing he could rely on is not the stock that he came from, not the legitimacy of who he was, not what he thought was going to be making everything fine. It wasn't the the promise of freedom and peace. The only thing that sustained him going through difficult times to keep him steadfast on the path of what God had called him to was the fact that he believed his father. Hello. He believed his father. My question for you today is do you believe your father? Do you believe he accepts you? Do you believe that he actually loves you? If so, be found approved. Live the holy life so that you can stand steadfast in your faith through every storm that comes your way. Let's stand this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for your word and we're so grateful for this month of steadfast 
And I pray, Father, that as I've laid a foundation to make sure we've got these things clear in our hearts and in our minds, we trust that you're gonna lead us through new revelations of how to stay steadfast in our faith so that we can weather through the things that you're gonna call us into. We ask this in your precious Son's name and all God's people said with a loud voice, they said, Amen. God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. We'll see you next week.